week 10 of our Imperfect series. There are three more weeks to the series, but today's sermon, a little bit different, simply entitled this, Moses the Intercessor. Moses the Intercessor. Where we are in the life of Moses is not the only place in his story where he intercedes on behalf of the children of Israel. If you know Moses' story, he interceded on their behalf very quickly after the Red Sea parting. They immediately started grumbling and complaining. And in that moment, he interceded and went to God on their behalf. And by the way, a working definition, I guess, of interceding would just be that. Going to God, not for yourself, but on behalf of someone else. Standing in their place. Uh, wanting their good. And Moses, throughout his life, finds himself interceding on behalf of the people to God. Obviously, in this Old Testament time, his, his job was also the, the 180 of that. He was to take from God and deliver the message to the people as well. And in fact, where we catch up on the story this morning is exactly that. Moses is up on the mountain. He's receiving the law, the Ten Commandments, the moral law that we spoke of last week. He's receiving the law. And ironically, as he is receiving the law, the children of Israel are down with Aaron and they've convinced him. And what are they doing? They're breaking the very law that God is giving to Moses at that moment. The irony of the fact that Moses is on that mountain receiving the Ten Commandments, no carved images, no other gods before me, and in the same moment, the children of Israel are down convincing Aaron to make them an image. Aaron in this, in this passage is just very clear, and I'm not, this is not a, a bashing of Moses' brother. It's just very clear that God knew what he was doing when he asked Moses to be the leader and Aaron to be the help. Aaron wasn't necessarily, as we can see, he wasn't standing up at all and he just kind of gave in. And that's not the message today. But the message is that as those people were worshiping a false god, Moses had to go before God on their behalf. There are multiple times in the Old Testament where God, quote unquote, made his mind up. And people came in and said, God, let me petition. God, please, if you will listen. If you will listen. Numerous times, I won't go through them. But I want us to see today three very simple truths and basic truths. But I believe it can help us this morning. I want us to see Moses, number one, the intercessor. Moses, the intercessor. We're going to pick out two instances in his life where he intercedes on behalf of the children of Israel. In Exodus chapter 32 is where we'll be first, but God, ironically, as Moses is up on the mountain receiving the law, God is the one who says, hey, Moses, FYI, right now, you would not believe what's going on down there. You might want to go check it out. 
You are not going to believe this. And God informs Moses of the idol worship that's going on. The fact then that God says he wants to destroy the people. And he wants to start over. Listen to this. God says, I want to start over. I want to destroy the children of Israel. The Abrahamic covenant. I'm going to make of you a great nation. The sands of the seashore aren't going to be able to count them. That's what he said to Abraham. That's the covenant. God says, I want to break that covenant. That's what God says. I want to break it. I want to kill them all. And I want to start over with you, Moses. And you will get, you'll be the patriarch. From you will come the nation. From you will come the people as the grain of sand on the seashore. And real quick, play on Moses' pride a little bit, right? Oh. Uh, If we rewind 40 plus years and that would have been given to Moses, I think Moses might have been like, sounds good to me. I can do that. Let's make it happen. Obviously, we know that those 40 years of testing changed Moses. He went from a very arrogant prideful man to a very humble man almost so humble that God had to convince him he could still use him this humble Moses hears God say that and look at verse 11 chapter 32 if you don't have your bible it'll be on the screen then Moses pleaded with the Lord and his God and said Lord why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a great mighty and with a mighty hand. Why should the Egyptians speak and say he brought them out to harm them, to kill them in the mountains, and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn, he's speaking to God again. Turn from your fierce wrath and relent from this harm to your people. Remember Abraham. Isaac, and Israel, another name for Jacob, We're about to, I'm about to show you something, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self, <clears throat> and said the Lord relented from the harm which he had said he would do to his people. Moses calls on Jehovah God, Yahweh, Holy One unapproachable Moses calls on Jehovah God to stay true to who he is in his character now we obviously know here that God is incapable of going against his character we know the character of God we know the love of God we know the justice of God we understand that God cannot do wrong however in this moment uh, Moses was faced with this challenge and he calls out to God and Basically, he says, God, you need to stay true to your word. You stay true to your character. Why would you bring the people out of Egypt just to kill them? And Moses calls upon the Lord to remember the promises that he made to Abraham, to Isaac. But he doesn't use the name Jacob. He uses the name Israel. Remember back in the story of Jacob, that's his covenant name. That's what his name was changed to. Just a little interesting tidbit there. The name, what Moses was doing was reminding God, you made a covenant with Jacob. That his name would be Israel. 
But Moses' intercession does not stop there. Moses intercedes in that moment. He goes down. He rebukes the people. He rebukes Aaron, his brother. And then he returns to the mountain to further engage in this incredible conversation that he's having with God. Look at verse 31. Then Moses returned to the Lord and said, Oh, these people have committed a great sin and have made for themselves a God of gold. I want you to see this. Yet now, verse 32, if you will forgive their sin, please forgive them. But if not, mm, I pray blot me out of your book, what you have written. These people have committed a great sin and have made for themselves a God of gold. God, please forgive them. But if not, blot me out of your book, which you have written. That's intense. That's powerful. That's an incredible display of leadership. It's an unselfish servant display of leadership. And scholars, by the way, are not 100% convinced on this, but most believe, as I would, that Moses is referring to the book of life that will be mentioned in the book of, the Re- of Revelation. That he's literally saying that he is willing at least to die for the people, but probably to go to hell if the people would be saved. That's, that's deep. That's not the Moses that we learned about five weeks ago, six weeks ago. That's not the Moses that killed the Egyptian. That's not the Moses that wandered around in the desert just being a shepherd for his father-in-law. This is a different Moses. We see something of this sort in the New Testament. The Apostle Paul, in Romans chapter 9 and verse 3, the Apostle Paul says, For I, I could wish that I myself were accursed from Christ, accursed from Christ, for my brethren, my countrymen, according to the flesh. Both Moses and Paul demonstrate an intercession for people that went as deep as I'm willing to give up my life. I'm willing to give up my standing in Christ. I'm willing to give up anything, God, if you'll save them. God, I'm willing to give up anything if you won't punish the people. God, I'm willing to give up anything if you'll spare their lives. God, I'm willing to... And he stands in their intercession. Another instance in Scripture uh, in the story of Moses and the life of Moses where he does this is in Numbers chapter 14. Numbers chapter 14, this is what's going on. The 12 men went to spy on Canaan. If you grew up in the hood where I grew up in, 10 were bad and 10 were good. Or 10 were bad and 2 were good. I'm not going to sing it for you. That was my Sunday school song back in the day. These 12 men went to spy and 10 come back negative. 10 come back, there's no way. 10 come back, I'm not sure. 10 come back, no. 10 come back, the giants. 10 come back, all the problems. Joshua and Caleb, they come back with, hey, we can do this. We got this. We can do this. 
Numbers chapter 14 and verse 11. I'm going to read quickly through this text. Then the Lord said to Moses, how long will these people reject me? These ten that were heavily influencing the children of Israel. How long will these people reject me and how long will they not believe me? With all the signs which I have performed among them. I will strike them with the pestilence and disinherit them. I will make of you a nation greater, greater and mightier than they. There it is again. God says, hey, listen, I'll get rid of them. And I'll start over with you. I'll break the Abrahamic covenant. And I'll start it over with Moses. And Moses said to the Lord, then the Egyptians will hear it. For by your might you brought these people up from among them. And they will tell it to the inhabitants of this land. They have heard that you, Lord, are among these people, that you, Lord, are seen face to face, and your cloud stands above them, and you go before them in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Now, if you kill these people as one man, then the nations which have heard your fame of your fame will speak, saying, Because the Lord was not able to bring this people to the land which he swore to give them, therefore he killed them in the wilderness. And now I pray, let the power of my Lord be great, just as you have spoken, saying the Lord is long-suffering and abundant in mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgression. But he by no means clears the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation. Pardon the iniquity of this people, I pray, Moses Christ, according to the greatness of your mercy. Just as you have forgiven this people from Egypt, even until now. Then the Lord said, I have pardoned according to your word. But truly as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. Because all these men who have seen my glory and the signs which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and have put me to the test now these ten times and have not heeded my voice, they certainly shall not see the land of which I swore to their fathers, nor shall any of those who rejected me see it. Here we see Moses again calling on God's character. And this way he, his angle was challenging God's power hey God you mean to tell me you weren't powerful enough to sustain your people God these people they need grace they need mercy they need they need pardon and you're powerful enough to do it and by the way we must understand the character of God Moses was calling upon it right now but Moses repeatedly stood before God and pleaded on behalf of of sinful people. He selflessly offered his own life in exchange for the people being spared, the people being saved. I gotta be honest with you. That's a challenging thought. God, take my life if it'll save someone else's. God, I'll use the words, blot me out of your book. If it saves the people. This spirit of intercession is only made possible if we acknowledge and understand the great intercessor. That's number two. Jesus the intercessor. As we've studied throughout this entire imperfect series, Moses is the imperfect and Jesus is the perfect. Moses is not complete. And Jesus is the completer. Moses is insufficient and Jesus is the all-sufficient. Romans chapter 8 and verse 34, who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died. Furthermore, is also risen. 
who is even at the right hand of God, Christ, who also makes intercession for us. Moses, the intercessor, the imperfect intercessor. Jesus, the perfect intercessor. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, these things I write to you so, you, so that you may not sin. If anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. That word advocate there is the same word that means intercessor. One that stands before God on our behalf. Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 25. Therefore he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him. This is Jesus since he always lives to make intercession for them. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm here today to simply tell you this. That Jesus Christ, the perfect, sinless, righteous Son of God stands before Almighty, all-powerful Jehovah God and He stands there on your behalf this morning as your advocate. Jesus Christ, the perfect, holy, sinless Son of God intercedes to the Father for you and for me. You say, what does that look like? What is that what do you mean by that, Joshua? What I mean is that every time that we sin and every time that we fall short and we do and we do and we do and God's justice and God's wrath wants to cry out on us, Jesus stands in the middle because of his shed blood and he's our advocate. He's our intercessor. And, and between God's wrath and me and you, there is the blood of Jesus that intercedes on our behalf you say explain it deeper I can't I don't know how to explain it deeper I don't know how God can look at me I know the sin in my life I know the struggles that I have how can God look at me and see the righteousness of Christ I don't know but the only thing I can tell you is when God has to look down and see you there's something in the middle and it's it's red it's the blood of Jesus it's Jesus Christ interceding through his blood shed on the cross. And ladies and gentlemen, this morning, there's no greater news than the wrath of God that you deserved, that there's something in the middle. And it's Jesus Christ interceding. And what's he saying? What does the blood of Christ say when God wants to point an accusation at us for our sin? The blood of Christ simply says, it's paid for. The blood of Christ simply says, it's done. It is finished. It was done on the cross. It was done when the tomb, when the stone was rolled away from the tomb. It was done. And the, and, the, and the wrath of God comes down and Jesus says, I'm their advocate. I intercede. Some of our church members work in um, some areas where, where they're, where in fact, I think there's people in our church that that's their title. They're an advocate. Maybe for children who have deep, serious needs for families that don't know how to take care of those needs. And Hey, what's, what's adoption? So I'm going to be an advocate for a child. What's, I've got some uh, great friends of mine that are uh, foster parents. What is that? That's, I, I just want to be an advocate. I just want to be, I want to intercede. 
Some people do that permanently and through adoption. Some people do that as they can through foster care. But listen this morning, on a spiritual note, on a theological note, nothing we do here on this earth can compare to what Jesus Christ has done interceding for us on our behalf. By the way, just like Paul and Moses, Jesus was willing to die for his people. Hey, just like Paul and Moses that we spoke about just a couple minutes ago, Jesus not only was willing to intercede to death, but he did. Jesus did. Jesus knew in order to be the once and for all intercessor for mankind, blood had to be shed. And not only was he willing to say, God, remove me from the book, or God, take my life if it will spare them, not only was he willing to say that, Jesus, he did that. He did that. Taken to the cross, willing to die, and laying down his life. Moses, the imperfect intercessor. Jesus, the perfect intercessor. And thirdly, I like to end practically, you and I, intercessors. That was not a... uh, Seminary outline right there, by the way. Folks, it wasn't alliterated. It didn't have words you didn't understand. I apologize. You and I. By the way, it's a good way to interpret and apply scripture as you read on your own. Okay? What does the person do? How is what they're doing imperfect compared to Jesus? And now what can I do in my life? To apply that today. It's kind of a great way of interpreting scripture. Okay, what did they do? How was what they did imperfect compared to what Christ did? And then how does it apply to me right now today? How can I? How can I learn from it? So that'll help you. Sorry, that wasn't in the outline. That's a simple way of looking at it. You and I, intercessors, first Timothy chapter two and verse one, therefore I exhort for, I exhort first of all that supplications. Prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. By the way, each one of those words is unique. We won't, we won't go through what they all mean, but we, we are understanding intercessions this morning. This beautiful gift of intercession has now been given to us. Modeled by men like Paul and Moses in scripture, but perfectly displayed by Jesus Christ. Can I say this? I can make this statement about a few things. But I'm going to make this statement about this. We are never more like Christ than when we intercede on behalf of others. We are never more like Christ than when we intercede on behalf of others. Now, certainly there are some other statements we can make like that. We are never more like Christ than we forgive. We're never more like Christ than we unconditionally love. But we are never more like Christ then we intercede on behalf of another. And our main avenue of, of intercession is not shedding our blood for some, uh, someone else. Our main avenue of intercession is not asking God to blot our names out of the book of life for someone else. Our main avenue of intercession, as it applies to us today, is prayer. It's prayer. 
I exhort that all supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. Simply put this morning, because of what Jesus did and does for us, we are called to intercede on behalf of other people. Remember the book of James? I think we were in it for a little bit. The last chapter of the book of James, chapter 5 and verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. If he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Those four verses are simply speaking to the subject of intercession. We stand in need of of healing, and as we've done on multiple times, we stand in need of healing for Carson. And as we've done and continue to do, we intercede. By the way, I hope you do that in your personal worship time every day. Not just Carson, but others interceding on behalf of Joyce Melzer, who wishes so much she could be here with her church family. Interceding on behalf of the sick. Interceding on behalf of those struggling spiritually. Interceding on behalf of the struggling. Interceding. What does it look like in your prayer life? It simply says that instead of me coming into my prayer time saying, okay, God, you know Christmas is coming up, money's a little tight, want to make sure I take care of my family, how could you figure out a way for me to get a couple hundred extra bucks? That'd be awesome. Thank you, Lord. God, you know the bills are coming this month, and I'm not really sure, so let me get my brand new iPhone out as I'm on my way to buy my new car and go out to eat because I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to pay my bills this month. No, it's... God, I come before you, and I know I've got needs. I mean, I, I, I pray this morning for Tracy. God, I don't, I don't know what she's going through. I don't know what she's facing. But God, I want to come on, I'm going to come to you on her behalf. God, if there's anything in her life that she needs, God, would you please, would you please give it to her? Would you spare her from suffering? Would you spare her from It says, God, I, I don't know. I don't know what David and Pamela, I, I have no idea. But God, I'm coming to you on their behalf this morning. Or maybe, maybe people have actually shared with you, hey, this is something specific that I'm struggling with. Would you pray for me? By the way, that is a longing for intercession. When someone says, would you pray for me? They are begging you to be like Christ. They are asking you to live like Jesus. And they are saying, would you go to God and say, God, this is what I do know. This is what I've been told, but I don't have the answers. But God, here's, here's this family. Here's this individual. God, please, would you spare them? God, would you convict them? God, would you bring them back to your son? God, would you bring them back to the local church? God, would you bring them back in fellowship with you? You and I, intercessors, we're never more like Christ than when we intercede on behalf 
of another. And I don't know about you this morning, but I need you to intercede for me. I need it. I was explaining to someone this week the unspoken pressure of spiritually leading. I don't think pastors have it any worse than anyone else. Believe me. But I say there's a uniqueness in spiritual leadership over other types of leadership. It's unique. And I need your prayer. And I don't mean that like, oh, God, pray for Josh. No, no, no. I need our church family to say, God, I don't know what Josh is going through. I don't know what's currently going on in his life. But God, would you spare him from any wrong? God, would you spare him from any sin? God, would you lift him up? Would you encourage his spirit? And God, I don't know what's going on in Jeff's life, but I do know this. I know he's working his tail off, and I know they got a lot of stuff going on at, at the house, and, and I, know, uh, I know Carson is, is struggling. I know Mandy's on the mend, and God, I don't know everything. But God, that, the wits, would you, would you please cover them with your love and your grace? God, would you please, folks, you and I are to intercede. And you know what? I don't need it any more than you need it. And you need it. And you need it. And they need it. And you need it. Maybe, maybe God is calling our church to pray for one another. Can I help you? You say, I'm not connecting. Or, no, no, here's a good one. I don't have deep friendships. Common, a common, not complaint, but a common feedback sometimes at churches. Completely understand it. There's a lot of things that go into that. Can I give you just, shoot someone a text. Say, I prayed for you this morning. When you actually did, don't lie. That's the worst. By the way, don't copy and paste it because you might have had someone else's name in there. (laughs) Send it to Brent and it's like, hey, Tim, prayed for you and your family this morning. And Brent's like, really? (laughs) But that's your first name. Bro, it worked. Brent's first name is Timothy, by the way, in case anyone was wondering. But uh, that was a horrible illustration then. (laughs) Brent's like, man, he knows me deeply. He used my real first name. But I want to help you. Hey, Peter, I pray for you guys this morning. We've been able to exchange some texts like that. Hey, Reed, I appreciate all you guys do. I want to let you know I prayed for you. When you did it. But man, there's nothing. There's nothing like that. Let's be real. There's nothing like that, kind of that smile that comes on your face. When someone reaches out and says they... They care about you, that they pray for you, that they're here for you, that they've interceded on your behalf. It works really well, though, in a church culture where we have people willing to share their needs, share their hurts, share their imperfections. And Tim, when he's praying for you, Tim doesn't just go, I'll pray for whatever's going on in their life. But Tim goes, no, they shared with me something after church. God, pray for this specific thing. God, I pray for it. 
God, I come to you earnestly for them. Intercession. Moses, the imperfect interceder. Jesus, the perfect interceder. You and I applying that. Pray for one another. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Moses, with all his good intentions, interceded on behalf of the children of Israel. But as we know over and over again, he was an insufficient leader. He was an insufficient, imperfect leader. Jesus was our perfect interceder. And believers, we do need to pray for one another. Would you commit to that today? Would you commit, if you take nothing away from this theologically, that practically you commit, you look around and you say, I'm going to pray for them. Hey, here's a great question to ask. How can I pray for you this week? Oh, you mean a spiritual question? How can I pray for you this week? And then do it. But Moses pointed to Jesus, and I want to close with this this morning. The most important intercession that ever took place was a sinner condemned to die for his or her sin. That's where we all, by the way, we're all common. We're all the same here. You know why? Because every single one of us either is or was a sinner condemned in our sin, undeserving of grace, undeserving of Christ. By the way, God's wrath is a real thing. The penalty, the wage of sin is death. That's legit. That's scripture. Okay? There was a debt, a sin debt that had to be paid. And of the many things that you could call Christ, the many things you could say about Jesus Christ when he hung on that cross, to apply it to today's message, as Jesus was on the cross, intercessor. I'm going to stand between the sinner and Jehovah God, intercessor. By the way, there's far too many church people that are willing to pay for your own sin. And by the way, if you're not willing to let Jesus pay for your sin, there's only one way to pay for your sin. The wages of sin is death. Pay for your own sin. Good luck. You say, well, does it mean I'm going to die next week? No, it means that when you do die, there's an eternal separation from God. A place called hell. None of us like to talk about it, but it's a reality. But Jesus Christ the intercessor the intercessor the only one who could intercede on behalf of the people you see Moses tried and he was imperfect but Jesus was perfect he came and he lived the life on this earth that you and I could not live the perfect life every single one of us according to the book of Romans because of the sin of Adam every one of us was born into sin Jesus Christ was born of a virgin not born of Adam Born of a virgin, without sin, perfect, without blemish. He lived a life that you and I couldn't live. He lived a sinless life. He never one time sinned. He was tempted like, you were, like you're tempted, tempted like I'm tempted, never sinned. 
Incredible. But he died the death you deserve to die. For the wages of sin is death, and you were supposed to pay for your sin. But Jesus did. But Jesus did. He didn't just die. He was buried and rose again third day in victory over death, over sin, over hell. But as many as received him, to them gave me power to become the sons of God, even to those who believe on his name. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. We've mentioned for the wages of sin is death, haven't we? Let's finish the verse. But the gift of God is eternal life. Who's it through? Jesus. You see, there's a man who wants to stand as your intercessor between holy, righteous God and you. What must you do? Believe on the name of the Son of God. Repent. Believe. Repent. But repent just means I'm wrong. What I'm doing is wrong. The way I'm living is wrong. The way I'm thinking is wrong. My soul is wrong. My spirit is wrong. Repent. Thanks for listening today. If you're listening for the first time, we would love to hear from you. Maybe you have a question about the gospel of Jesus. If so, we'd like you to send us an email at hello at keystonerdu.church. If you're a regular listener to our podcast and you would like to donate to the media and outreach ministries at Keystone, your gift would allow us to do more in an effective way to get the gospel out. Thank you for partnering with us in ministry in Durham and around the world.